You're listening to What's Up Digital Lending, the podcast that explores the exciting world of digital lending. We make a deep dive into the most important issues and talk to the leading minds of the ecosystem. Welcome, everyone. My guest today in this episode number three of What's Up Digital Lending is Christopher Grätz. He is the CEO of Investor from Berlin. My name is Konstantin Fabricius and I am the host of this podcast. Investor Group is a digital lending and investment platform active in Finland, Germany and Austria, which grew up out of mergers. Now it wants to join forces with One Planet Crowd from the Netherlands and the goal is clear, Investor wants to become the first pan-European platform. It's a pleasure to have you here, Christopher. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here as well. Now pay attention, please. The content of this podcast is expressly not to be considered investment advice, but is intended solely for your information. We do not assume any liability and will not share any profits. Christopher, may I ask you to introduce yourself since we have already heard a little bit about your company? Who are you? And please tell us a bit about your professional career. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. My name is Christopher Gretz. I'm uh, born and raised in Berlin. I've worked for various banks before. Uh, did an apprenticeship in the bank here in Berlin. Uh, worked for KPMG consultancy in the financial services field, management services. So we consulted banks all over Europe on, on various projects, digitalization, um, how to get closer to the customer again, uh, process optimization. Those were my topics that I worked on. Until 2014, end of 2014, where I felt like my view on the banks was that obviously it's a huge industry, it's a necessary industry. But a lot of those questions of how do I digitalize, if, if you make a concept about this, it often ends up not being implemented. And how do I get closer to my clients? Often the question was not general to say, like, I want to have engagement and contact to the clients. But it was often a question of how do I get them into my branches? Because I have these branches already. And... I felt this is not the trend to go forward. I also worked on, on SME credits on the other side where you could see the processes, the time it takes, uh, the effort it takes to the, to, for the company. And you could also see that it's not very valued. So our idea was in 2015 um, to found a company called Capilendo. That's what I did back then. We were the market leader for crowdfunding or crowd lending, lending purely in the German market, focusing on German SMEs on the one hand, and we only had senior loans On the other hand, to um, as investment opportunities for for the crowd, for retail investors and institution investors, and develop from there through, as you mentioned, various mergers and and ideas. And yeah, I can definitely dive more into this uh, over the podcast. Okay, thank you. Great. And uh, just to mention, uh, Capilendo is one of the fellow founders of our trade body back in 2019. So it is, um, yeah, something very special uh, today uh, for this reason. Let's take a deep dive into Investor. What exactly is Investor's business model? We are a European platform for retail and institutional investors to invest in basically all types of companies at all stages of their life cycle. We focus on Central and Northern Europe. So we're currently a platform that is offering investments into scale-up companies, early stage, from really pure equity. You can invest in shares, you can invest in other types of equity products in the early stage, 
over the lifetime of a company by having hybrid products like convertible bonds, for example, up to loans. Might they be subordinated with interest kickers if the company is more successful to really, really stable loans for SMEs that are definitely at the you know, at the at the final stage of their of their life cycle, highly established, purely fixed income investments. Um, that's the focus we have on the business side, and we offer these for uh, companies coming out of Finland, coming out of Germany, Austria, and we will add the Netherlands because we highly believe that uh, crowdfunding is something where you need to diversify, and um, you don't want to diversify over various platforms. You want to have one partner you work with that has established standards that is uh, highly professional. That's our belief, and that's you know why we offer this broad range to diversify between maybe a scale-up where I like the business model and I feel, okay, it's too early stage to only go for fixed interest because the, the upside is limited. So I want to have equity and I want to participate in the exit up to companies where I feel like, hey, it's a company around the corner making a lot of money. Why not give my money straight to this company knowing who's having my money instead of putting it on a bank account with lower interest? And what we highly believe in as well is that Sustainability will become more and more important. Asset allocation also into renewable energy products will become more and more important. And that's why we decided to merge with One Planet Crowd, who's a European's market leader in sustainability investments. It will bring the opportunity for us to also enter the Benelux region. As if we say Northern and, and Central Europe, we were still missing the Benelux definitely there. So we can enter this market for scale-ups, SMEs, and we will add the asset class of renewable energy projects. And uh, tokenization already plays any role? Tokenization plays an important role for us because we also believe that crowdfunding needs to be a liquid product, especially mm. if you're not only doing short-term loans, but if you have, let's say, a renewable energy product where you invest in a solar farm, you get 5-6% interest, very low risk, but it's a long-term term of maybe 10 years. Then you want to have the possibility at a certain point in time to maybe sell the product, right? And, and get back your money. So... We want to move from, like, I mean, crowdfunding comes a bit out of the gray capital market. It was not highly regulated with the European license. Now it is regulated. We have this license. Um, and we want to move to securities in general, to digital securities, and to, yeah, make a digital security. Tokenization is one way to do it. So that's important to us to make the product in itself tradable and more liquid. However, we don't tokenize because we love the blockchain or something. It's it's uh, it's the you know the value that comes out of it for the user, without it being you know an implication in the in the user flow or something. So, if you invest in a tokenized or non-tokenized um, investment on our platform, doesn't make any big difference for you in the way how you invest. But obviously, moving to more tokenization and digital securities helps you to trade them in the long run. Okay, interesting. Let's talk numbers. Uh, how many projects has Investor Group financed to date? And could you please also tell us something about the total volume issue to date? Yes, absolutely. Um, I will include One Planet Crowd in this already because uh, okay. we're about to close the deal. It will happen in the first quarter this year. So we already work as one company, basically. And, and um, if I if I put this all together and include this in the investor group, we have financed over 830 projects in the past and more than 460 million euros um, in volume to these companies and to these projects. The current crowd consists of 170,000 registered users that are on our platform coming from Finland, Germany, Austria, the Netherlands and, and further European countries and the European license will allow us to grow this even more to you know be in the in the center point of a capital market okay uh, interesting 
We have spoken already about uh, the different mergers and uh, what is now interesting to me is are there any uh, further mergers or acquisitions planned for the future? What can we expect from investor? <laughs> it's open. It's open for discussion. I cannot say yes, I cannot say no. There's no merger that we have sort of already agreed on. Uh, we are in close contact with a lot of companies. Uh, we obviously look into the market. I mean, right now there are a lot of players out there. Europe, I think, has seen the potential of crowdfunding. And that's why within Europe, there's the new so-called ECSP license, which is a European license that harmonizes the way you can treat investors. It's sort of uh, in the forefront of building one capital market union, which we can already see in the US, we can already see in China, and which is which we're really lacking behind in Europe. Um, so this license kicks in in November this year latest. A lot of, or a few platforms already have it. A lot of platforms are trying to get it. This will definitely consolidate the market. So there will be a lot of national players that are not highly regulated today that might step out of the market. There will be some players like us getting the license and expanding. And there will be some in the middle that yeah, want to join European groups. I think if we look at further mergers, again, uh, Central and Northern Europe is what we're looking at because we feel companies are equal, investment processes are equal, and and. I think it's easier for an investor from Germany to invest in Scandinavia or to invest in the Benelux than it is maybe to invest in Eastern Europe or Southern Europe because culturally there is still a difference between these markets. So this is our focus point. Our general idea is that we want to be sort of the most European of all the local platforms, but the most local of all the European platforms. So that's why we don't believe in purely growing digitally. Like, who am I or who's my investment manager team if we would go to Sweden to know what a Swedish investor wants or how a Swedish SME works? Like, we don't believe in that. So one way would be opening offices and, and getting people in. But if you're new in the market, you might make mistakes. You still learn something. So we highly believe in a track record to pick the right companies, to pick the right platform. So, yes, we are open to talks to see, like, how can we expand in the other markets? But we have enough to do also with the mergers that we just did uh, to bring this all together and to execute it. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I believe that. Uh, but um, let's drill a little bit deeper into your uh, business uh, model so that we uh, all can uh, better understand uh, what's up on both sides of uh, the marketplace. Um, let's start With the companies uh, seeking for financing, uh, what do they look like? Uh, could you please tell us the details? Yes, I was expecting a question like, what's the typical company? Because <laughs> obviously we have a broad business model, right? So if mm -hmm. we talk about the typical company, we need to divide into scale-ups um, and SMEs in general. And then we have project development for real estate, which I, uh, for, for renewable energy projects, which I would take uh, out of the consideration now. So... Looking into the typical companies, these are either really early stage startups, which always need to have a certain proof of concept. That proof of concept can come from already existing revenues. The proof of concept can come from the team and the experience of the team. Those are companies that we would only finance with equity products. We don't believe, and we see that in the German market, obviously, Uh, that there are platforms out there that use debt products to finance startups at early stage that's too high risk. So the upside is limited, always limited because you're not fully in an equity position. Uh, the downside is obviously young companies can fail, right? So these typical companies we finance with equity, 
again, early stage, but they most, most often from our point of view need to have a business model that we highly believe in. Um, they're often VC backed already. They're often in the field of sustainability. And currently they're mainly coming out of either Finland or they're coming out of the Benelux markets because having a real equity product in the German market is not as simple. So we're working on this. Uh, it will come throughout the year. But again, everything that we see currently in the German market does not fulfill the quality standards that we have. But those are early stage companies. Again, from sustainability, medtech, renewable energy, clean tech, all types to solve. We always look into which company is trying to solve the, the essential problems that Europe has, right? From climate change over um, energy transition that needs to happen, local productions, like the challenges we have felt, I think all of us have felt over the last two years. These companies trying to solve those challenges, these are the companies that we want to bring on the platform with a clear equity product. And then we have later stage companies uh, that from our point of view are often out of the equity field. So um, whoever's founded the company doesn't want to dilute anymore and he has all rights to not dilute anymore because the high risk phase is over. The company has reached a more stable stage, is profitable. We can finance and analyze based on a track record. So we can not only with startups, you often look through the front window and see like, okay, what's the road ahead and do I believe in this? With SMEs, you more look into the back mirror and say like, how have they performed in the past? And that's the proof of concept. And that's what we analyze, look into the numbers. And these can be yeah, family-owned businesses. They can be large companies. I think we had companies from a million in revenue up to companies, 500 million in revenue from, I don't know, 10 people working for the company up to 3,500 working for the company. So it's, it's a broad range, different regions, different branches, industries, asset classes. Again, to give the investor the possibility to really diversify and pick what they are interested in. We steer our portfolio based on, if we look into the debt side, based on really looking at all cases. So really always looking into what's the total volume, what's the total interest, the total default rate, et cetera, to always make sure that we have a positive net return above 4% at least on fixed interest. Um, that's what we're looking at. Okay. Yeah, we will come back to this yeah. uh, in a couple of minutes and uh, elaborate a little bit more on this uh, because uh, that sounds uh, very interesting. Uh, let's look on the uh, other side of uh, your marketplace. What does the typical investor look like? Another question about the typical investor. Um, being a, yeah, again, being a European platform makes it harder for us. And I think you have to understand we are a merged company, right? We are a combination of four market leaders. It's Capilendo that was founded in Germany with senior loans. So the investor base that we brought into the merger was very debt-driven. We never offered any equity product. So everyone we grew in the investor base uh, was looking for fixed interest products. Uh, Finist from Austria, same positioning. Investor from Finland, completely different positioning. A lot of business angels, a lot of people that want to invest into equity, early stage medtech companies, very, very equity driven, a bit less uh, fixed interest focused because we never really offered fixed interest products. And now we're adding a Dutch crowd, which funnily enough combines a bit of all. Um, their sort of consistency is sustainability, but they have offered SMEs fixed interest products, but they also have offered equity and with renewable energy, most likely the most let's say, secure, stable, fixed interest asset class. So the investors are really from 18 to 90 years old. Uh, on average, I think they're 42. On average, they're a bit more male than female. And yeah, 170,000 users on the platform, out of which around about 65,000 come from the Dach region and the rest from the Nordics and the Benelux region. What's important to us is that 
they have different appetites. They have different risk appetites. They have different return uh, expectations and appetites. They're looking for someone to invest into national companies and I want to support, you know, my region only. Something very European and say like, hey, sustainability is important to me, but it doesn't matter where the company is coming from. Yeah, and it's the, the main challenge we have is obviously building one marketplace that can serve them all by clearly defining, giving information about the companies, being as transparent as possible and offering people the opportunity to build their own portfolio based on their own uh, interest. Okay. Can you perhaps say anything specific about the share of funding from private investors compared to institutional investors on your marketplace? Yeah. The share of funding is around about 90% is private investors, around about 10% is institutional investors. We have co-placed with institutional investors in the past as well. So they're often funds involved. Uh, doesn't mean, could be on the renewable energy bit where the crowd goes in, but there's then always also or often also a energy transition fund, for example, coming in. It could be VCs coming in. That's not counted in our volume. They're not running then through our platforms. They're more partners on the site. On our platform, 90% retail, 10% institutional. And I think there was a point in the market where Everyone started with retail or a lot of platforms started with retail. And then a lot of platforms realized retail is a difficult business because you need to fulfill various expectations, which we felt that's the USP we have. And that's where we focused on those. While a lot of other platforms that might be still seeing as crowdfunding are actually funds in the background and handing out the money. It's a fully different approach. And I can also understand arguments from both sides. Again, I think it's easy to have or it's easier to have one focused client. With the growth, obviously, we also talking to funds. Um, they see the advantages with us again that we bring this broad diversity of asset classes and, and we have the knowledge to, to um, bring it all together. So we see how the, how the development goes. I think the European license again will allow us to grow also on the retail side. We talk to a lot of funds at the moment. Uh, but yeah, that's the distribution we have right now. I think that uh, this asset class is uh, really appealing and it, uh, from my personal point of view, it uh, has all potential to grow in the future. And yes, um, we had that uh, summit back in uh, at the end of October in Cologne, our first uh, investors uh, summit. And uh, what I can uh, tell you is that uh, there were almost uh, 30 investors from Germany and abroad, and they were all very interested in uh, this uh, asset class. So um, I think the story will not end here. <laughs> 100% with you. I mean, I, I, I clearly agree. I, if, if people think about crowdfunding, you know, it's often either just put into the startup corner and say like, ah, that's something, you know, for early stage companies and not for the relevant capital markets. And institutional clients obviously also think like, ah, it's still such an early, early asset class. But I think if you really look at it, the, the personalization that has taken place over the last years, you know, moving into real license, moving into securities, making them more tradable, track records that we have built, volumes that we are capable to finance. I fully agree. It's, uh, it's still at the beginning as an asset class. Maybe for some of us founders, you know, obviously it feels more like a marathon uh, than a sprint. <laughs> you know, we have expected this to go faster. Yes. <laughs> But bet. at least now, uh, at least now, you know, the... Also, the political will on the European area is there, understanding that this part of the capital market of, you know, financing. I mean, our license allows us now to finance up to 5 million euros per year for a company. 
that's something that is underserved. Like if the only way you had is going to a bank or going to, to the private sector, but not to the markets. And, and we are this new capital market for that, for that part of the, um, of the industry. By the way, congratulations. I saw uh, this notice on uh, LinkedIn today that you finally uh, received your authorization by uh, the Austrian uh, supervision. Yeah, it's, uh, that's great news. And yes, good luck. We will come back to the crowdfunding Uh, regulation later but um, yeah great news today for the ecosystem um, could you perhaps also briefly uh, describe your investment process how does it work the investment process for the investor on the platform yes how that works. yes um, yeah i mean we have it, it's it's really a marketplace model so you come you see all the different types of investment opportunities we have As mentioned before, we have different types of investors. So uh, we work a lot with with tax and filters. So you have the chance to really always see where's the company coming from, at what stage is the company, what type of product am I investing in, is it equity or fixed interest? You already see that on a on a first level sort of where you have all these different companies next to each other with a short summary of information. And then you can deep dive into the companies. Um, with larger financing rounds, we also have videos. So the the investor, uh, the the issuer, the company is. Um, showing himself, talking about his business model. Uh, we always have a summary that is very standardized um, about the market, about the financials, about the team, everything you need to know. And then often we go, uh, we also have information that go much deeper uh, on every uh, every company. So as an investor, you really can can pick what's my interest. Then you can deep dive into the companies as deep as you want. And then you invest and that really happens online. Uh, you fill out your profile, uh, you, you pay online, uh, all the contracts happen online, so it's a fully digital process, including identification methods, which is a challenging thing in Europe because it's not harmonized yet, while a lot of other things are. But we also make sure that, that in our core countries, you know, from Finland, Germany, Austria to, to the Netherlands, we have uh, smooth processes that are that are working and allow you to yeah, build your portfolio. And if you invested in the end, you have uh, all your investments in one portfolio consolidated at one and what spot with reportings you need, uh, with the clear diversification that you can see with repayment schedules that you can see your statuses or your contracts are still there. And then again, you have, if you want, access to your wallet for tokenized assets. However, it's not needed at all. So no one needs to sort of uh, browse through the blockchain to figure out where he has invested. That all happens in the background. That's all taken care of by us. Um, but if you want to trade at a certain point, uh, this trading possibility will now open up with the new license and the tokenization. And that's something we will build in. Okay. Your brand investor seems to be pretty much a, uh, yeah, a statement from my uh, understanding you try to uh, really emphasize uh, the investor's uh, position and that brings me to credit risk management and uh, how you perform this and could you perhaps please tell us uh, how you do this yeah and uh, why you do this first of all the name yeah i, I can confirm that we we often had the discussion Well, it's a two-sided marketplace or if you're really honest it's a more-sided marketplace because you have investors that are looking for money You have companies, uh, or no, companies looking for money, investors to looking to invest money, but then you also have the industry, right, of consultants and banks that work with us that that use the platform also to to bring deals to finance deals. So we always discussed okay, where does the marketplace start, right? It's a it's a circle, circular economy. But we really believe that the investor should be in the focus because if you have the investor base and if you treat the investor base correctly and 
if you make sure that in a diversified portfolio there can be positive returns, um, then you get the, the the trust of the investor. The investor keeps investing, and that means that you can better, you know, get better and better companies. So the investor always comes first. If we look into the process of analyzing, again, we have to distinguish between equity, debt, and renewable energy projects. On the equity side, starting there, we look at it like every VC does. Uh, we have a strong due diligence process where we look into, you know, what's the legal situation of the company, what's the financial situation of the company, etc. Um, obviously, we also analyze the business model. Like, do we believe in the team to be able to execute this? Do we believe in the market that this company is in? What is maybe a bit less is the financial, the backwards-looking financial situation. So if you take these companies and look into balance sheets, current cash flows, or a track record over the last years. And let's say you have an early stage medtech company, you know, producing, we just financed on our platform, a company uh, called Next Kidney, which is um, having a dialysis system that is portable to, to bring it home. We are still at an early stage with that company, you know. It's, um, so looking into financials in the background is something we do, but it doesn't tell you necessarily enough for the future. So, these companies are analyzed really on, on business case, on future-looking financials, on plans, on how they have executed on plans in the past. Then we analyze, we write that together, we bring our opinion, and then we go into an investment committee. So there's always an investment committee of experts internally, and we even add external um, experts depending on industries and asset classes um, from time to time, discuss these cases and figure out, is this something that we can offer the crowd? That doesn't mean you need to invest in this. And it's not the advice to invest in it. It's really, it depends on your appetite, right? It be, depends on your portfolio. So we take also a variety of equity investments there. If we look into debt projects, these are, as I said before, more stable SMEs, later stage companies. Because again, the upside, if I get, let's say, between 4 up to maybe 10 12% interest, the upside is limited as a maximum of 12% interest. So the risk shouldn't be too high. So the higher the risk, the higher the interest, but the upside of, hey, the company makes an exit at a certain point is not there. So it needs to be a company that can repay the loan or the bond, whatever finance instrument we use, out of the cash flow. So it's much more an analysis of the current financial situation, the last three annual reports that we look at. We, we look into cash flows and liquidity analysis and, and really try to figure out, is the company overdebted? Does it have positive equity? All those points we look at. We make scenario assumptions where we also take, you know, critical paths and say like, okay, what if the company does 20% more or less revenue than it plans or has 20% more or less cost than it plans? And is there still a cash foreseeable cash flow to repay the loan? If we come to a positive conclusion, then again, we allow this company to come to the platform. Then, you know, we, in the current market scenario, even often work with a bidding mechanism of how to set the interest rate. So we set a range and we feel... Companies should pay between maybe, let's say, 6 to 8% interest, but we let the investor really also take the final decision on would he invest on 6 or does he really want to have 8? So there's a bidding mechanism. Sometimes we have projects with fixed interest, but the interest always represents the risk of the company that we have analyzed. If we go into renewable uh, energy projects, again, it's a bit different analysis because it's normally an SPV, a project that you look at uh, more comparable maybe to real estate or something where you really look also, depending on what stage that renewable energy project is, is it an up and running solar plant? Is there still construction happening? Um, is it even early stage, more early stage or something? 
And that's also pure calculation of are there power purchase agreements with bigger companies? Are there subsidies by the state? And we can make really planable cash flow statements and then decide to bring the to, to bring the renewable platform or renewable energy project to the platform or not. That's what we look at there. Okay, let's even uh, look a little bit uh, deeper, in particular because of the sharp rise in energy costs, uh, the pressure on uh, companies' creditworthiness is increasing. How are you coping with this challenge? It is definitely a challenge. Rising energy costs is one, but obviously even starting before you had COVID to look into, after COVID, before the energy prices went up, you had The problem of do we get you know get enough supply from China if all the suppliers were there? Then you had to look into okay maybe the biggest chunk of of the customers came from Russia where you're not supposed to supply anymore. So there's always something in the market to look at. It's definitely something we consider and we look into. We see if we if we have companies we we, we talk to the CEOs, we talk to the CFOs, uh, and try to analyze the business models. We see if the assumptions make sense based on, for example, energy prices, and we see if the cash flow still works. What we can obviously say is that with the changing times, cash flows are more often not enough anymore. And we decide against putting these companies on the platform because rising energy costs, also meaning rising interest rates, obviously yeah, takes out liquidity by the company. On the other hand, you also see that this brings potential. So, for example, having uh, if you had your customers in Russia beforehand or your suppliers in China beforehand, you know, building up a supply chain in Europe is a new business model for a new company. So, yeah, but obviously we look into all this. And then again, what's important to us, it's not that we have, uh, you know, one global team, I don't know, sitting in Berlin, analyzing all projects, uh, all types. We have specific analysts for renewable energy. We have asset investment committees for equity cases in the early stage. And we have credit analysts for SMEs uh, sitting in Berlin, sitting in Helsinki, uh, and also sitting in, in Amsterdam. So that obviously a Finnish company is under different market conditions than a German or a Dutch company is. So, yeah, professional analysts, uh, which we hired out of the financial industries and of banks, are what we work with. And also, obviously, looking at information that we see in the market, credit bureaus, um, etc. Okay, thank you. Very interesting. And uh Another question uh, regarding your uh, risk model relates to the historical data. The business is is quite young. Mm -hmm. So it uh, it came up mainly after the financial crisis. So um, historical data is limited. How can investors yet be sure that your ratings are sound? It is limited, but obviously that's an argument that we uh, you know had to tackle in 2017 when we were two years old. Now our combined group is 10 years at the market. So I think we have a certain track record that we have built out ourselves based on the specific type of companies that we fund. We have seen different types of market scenarios because that was also always a question in the beginning by institutional clients. Hey, you only seen the uptrend, um, you know, now with the COVID crisis, energy crisis, etc. Our numbers also reflect downturns of the markets, upside circles of the markets. Um, so I think there's quite a lot. Obviously, the big chunk of data we buy in. Um, so using credit bureaus, uh, we have at a certain point used um, and, and bought data from Standard and & Poor's and Moody's. I think it's the same models in the end that, that data is available today. You don't need to necessarily bring that data in only by yourself. Uh, we combine it. We, we bought data. We looked into, uh, yeah, we use public sources for it, uh, for ratings to add in. And we have built up our own database over time now since, yeah, over 10 years in different environments mm -hmm. 
Uh, to get a better uh, impression of it, uh, can you perhaps give any numbers for both the requested volume and the actually paid out volume for uh, loans and bonds? Uh, for loans and bonds, around about 60% of our portfolio, we find is 400, uh, 460 million, around about 60% of that um, is in, in bonds and loans. If we look into requested to paid out, the, the quota is, I think, seven, uh, 97% that we declined. Mm -hmm. However, um, you know, that needs to be clarified because, again, as, as a young platform, you come to the market, you have an easy, accessible online, uh, you know, channel of, of asking for a loan. And you're seen as the white knight that now can serve everyone, right? So you get a lot of crap uh, in online applications, basically. So take that aside. Still, we decline a lot of cases. We have uh, high hurdles for companies to jump over. So we have requested volume in the billions, definitely. And we try to f figure out of honest applications in the end, the top maybe five to 10% of, of companies to bring to the platform. In depth, even less in equity. We maybe have a bit more chances there. Yeah. That's roundabout the quota that we have from requested to to really getting to the platform, bringing to the platform. It's a very important message, uh, especially for uh, supervision and uh, politics, because what we often hear, you know, that is that uh, we take over, uh, we take on board everything that uh, banks do not like to finance, and that's really a rumor. That's not true, and um, it's it's really great to hear that things are running really very professionally here. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's also for us, you know, when we back then founded the, the association together, that, that was exactly the idea that you have obviously seen companies out there and platforms out there that might have tried to go that way and say like, okay, there's a lot of demand. Can we not fulfill this? But then again, we, we're here since 10 years. We might have, you know, as I said, it's more like a marathon than a sprint. We might have liked to grow even faster over time, but we always felt like the main asset that we have is the trust of our investors which comes through, you know, keeping a positive return, keeping default rates low, et cetera. And that's what we had in mind. And that's why we rather decline a bit more and not go that way that, you know, maybe the stereotypes uh, things and focus a bit more on the companies that are also have been early adapters in the past and say, hey, why only do bank? Why not do a capital market product, which is crowdfunding in the end? Hmm. As you have um, mentioned, uh, senior loans, junior loans, bonds. What can you tell us uh, more specifically about the respective default rates and distressed, distressed loans and bonds? Yeah. Like I mentioned in the beginning, the main focus we have is building a portfolio. And uh, if we have new investors coming in, we have like an onboarding email channel of, I think, six, six to eight emails or something. So we, we constantly try to educate and tell, please diversify because we are not a fund. But you have to use us like a fund. You need to diversify yourself. If you come to our platform and say, like, I pick two out of 833 projects, there might be defaults there. So when looking into those, especially if you go, for example, early stage equity, uh, you know, where the return potential is high, but it only comes if you diversify. Enough. Mm -hmm. And that's our belief also where we said, like, okay, we need to bring even more diversification by asset classes, by markets, by regions, by early, by stages, by product types, investment opportunities, et cetera. If we look into, like you said, senior loans, subordinated loans and bonds, so the whole debt product side, we are steering by getting a positive return. So the, the important numbers for me are always, what's the average interest rate that we have right now? And that's 6.31%. So 6.31% is sort of the gross interest you get on our platform before defaults. Mm -hmm. And then we look into, that means if you have invested in all debt products we back in days have offered, 
And then we look into what's the annualized, because you get that interest rate every year. So what's the annualized default rate? And the annualized default rate we currently have is 1.48%. Oh, okay. So 6.31 minus those 1.48 is a positive net return per yeah. year of mm-hmm. 4.83. And that's what we steer at. We might need to adjust that even higher, to be honest, looking into the market right now and you say like, okay, interest rates are rising. We always had the rule for us like four, four and a half percent net return on a diversified portfolios we want to offer. Again, we will go with the market scenario. So right now we increase interest rates because the market goes up. Interest rates are obviously higher because market is a bit unstable and you might have higher defaults in the future. So positive net return on a diversified portfolios was important to us. 4.83% is what we currently offer. But again, diversify, please. You know, if you pick two projects, it's really tough for us because it would be the same in a fund. If you invest in a fund, you do it for the diversification. Use us the same way. The main advantage is you can pick how your fund looks like, you know, what the projects are you want to support, what are models you want to support, you know, what are company types you want to support, regions, or do you only want to go for sustainability, et cetera. Um, That's a possibility you have. Okay. Yeah, two very important uh, numbers uh, you've mentioned. uh, And I think um, that uh, these two numbers are perhaps the two most important for investors. Yes. And um, another very important question uh, from the investor's uh, perspective is how exactly do you manage uh, defaults? And and, and that brings me uh, to what exactly happens with the claims. What can you tell us about this? Yeah. Also there we have to distinguish obviously a bit into the investment products we have. So looking, for example, in the Benelux market, if you if we had senior loans there, we uh, often had them collateralized and even have them collateralized personal guarantees or it could even be assets behind that. There we hold the collaterals in a so-called Stichting, uh, which is like a yeah, an SPV unit that holds the collateral. If we look into the DAC region, for example, in the senior loan area, we have had unsecuritized or uncollateralized, but also collateralized with personal guarantees in the past. In the senior bit, we do the claims management fully. We try to recover or we together with uh, external lawyers. So we have worked with Taylor Wessing there in the past. So we take the claims of the investors and we try If something goes wrong to renegotiate the deal, uh, we try to go against um, the person who is given the guarantee. We try to see what's you know what we can get out of the out of the liquidity of the company in case it files insolvency, etc. There you're in the senior position. You can do much more, obviously, and you can sometimes get you know recoveries of of 100. We had loans where including interest that was not paid. So, uh, the, you know, penalty interest in the past, you got more than you expected in the, in the first place. Obviously not the normal case. But there's a certain recovery to be expected. Those loans are normally also a bit lower interest because the recovery rates are there and because you have a, you have a position when trying to get a claim, trying to go for recovery. We have also financed subordinated loans or subordinated bonds. These have a bit worse position in that case because in case of an insolvency, you are standing one step behind um, the people that get their their money first and the senior position. And that means that recovery rates are not as high. You know, you can maybe expect sometimes 10, 20, 30 percent to get out. Sometimes in case of insolvency, but you, you should also expect a total loss potential. On the other hand, those loans are therefore higher in interest. Um, So again, the best case is to build a portfolio out of senior subordinated 
maybe with equity, which is even on the higher risk end, and then at renewable energy projects where over the past we had zero default rates in these areas. So we never had any problems on any of the renewable energy projects. Therefore, these interest rates are sometimes between, let's say, 3 to 8%. You know? So interest rate represents risk, definitely there. We take over as much as we can on the claims and recovery management. On senior, there's something you can expect. Subordinated, a bit more difficult. There's still a need for this product, right? So if we think often subordination is a part also, or subordinated loan is a part of a refinancing structure. So if I take a restaurant chain like Beats and Roots or Losteria that we have financed, where there's often a senior bank, you know, financing, there's equity put in by the company. And then there's piece in the middle that is either also filled by equity, but the company is also willing to overpay on interest to open more stores at the same time or more restaurants at the same time. And that's then coming with interest of 8 to 10% of cash flow positive companies where you say like, okay, the risk comes really with the position and recovery is a bit harder to get. Again, we do as much as we can on the bond side in the future is something to look into because if you have a tradable bond on the market, then obviously it's tokenized. It might also be traded away from a person that is not even client on the investor platform anymore and traded on the market. There, the German law has has really nice and that's where we like this this as well has really nice bond law where you know the crowd the bond holders uh, you know which is the crowd in the end as well sort of comes together decides together and there are clear mechanisms what what happens next so it's it's highly regulated in that sense so that's how we currently act for the investors could you also uh, say anything about the numbers how long uh, investors would have to wait until they get their monies back Yeah, also there, there is no really a standard, to be honest. Like mm -hmm. uh, take a senior collateralized loan, then normally you get the money back quite fast because you, mm -hmm. you take the asset, you sell the asset and you repay the investor. That might take six months after something has happened. Often also, like if, if we talk about uh, something happens in the repayment, it doesn't need to be insolvency. It's very often also restructuring. You know, the company can maybe not pay right now, but... Instead of repaying over two years, it repays over three years. So we just readjust the repayment schedule. So that is often the case. If you really run into an insolvency, then you might have a personal guarantee and the company is not capable to pay. The personal guarantee starts paying. If you're in the subordinate bit, then sometimes even, to be honest, insolvencies take time. So uh, it could be processes of one, two, three years until you might then in the end recover 10 to 20%. So again, you should invest the money that, you know, does not need to be highly liquid. We are not a um, savings account where you can take the money out the next day. Um, we therefore also offer high interest. And again, it comes down to please diversify uh, and, and mix, mix and match um, so that you can always make sure that there's always a repayment schedule happening. Okay. And we heard in uh, Cologne repeatedly the question from investors what happens in case of insolvency of the platform how do you guys manage this so uh, i forward this question to you what happens in case of insolvency of uh, investor yeah i think the insolvency of investor is not a big not, not such a big issue i mean it would be a big issue for me uh, obviously you know i wouldn't like that <laughs> but um <laughs> The repayment, uh, we don't have a payment license. We are broker, right? So we, we broker the loans, we broker the deals. The repayment happens by the company through certified payment providers that then repay the money to the investors. 
So in case we are not there, it doesn't mean that the money is gone. The companies will just keep on repaying their loans through the payment provider. The question if will the payment provider stop paying because maybe the fees are not paid anymore, they paid front up. So the payment provider is paid by us already for the whole term time to repay the loan. So an insolvency of us would not matter for your cash flow coming back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that part of the deep dive. Uh, very interesting to uh, hear so much about uh, defaults, your uh, risk management and so on. Uh, we are approaching to the end. And one question is really important to ask in these weeks. Um, And, and these are the uh, the high price uh, pressures in the eurozone. Most experts expect the European Central Bank to raise interest rates further. Bank of America, I uh, read in the Handelsblatt, even expect a hike to as high as 3.5% by June, which uh, actually really uh, astonished me. In addition, high inflation is already leaving a growing proportion of people unable to save money anymore. So how do rising interest rates and high inflation affect investors' business model in general, especially in view of the high number of, uh, of private investors? Yeah, obviously we need to adjust. But we are part of the market, right? So if a company has financed with us before on 6% interest rate, they also adjust to high interest rates. So we, we offer that project most likely then for 7, 8, 9% in the future, still covering the same risk, but integrating that basically the no interest rate um, or the risk-free rate in the market has risen from maybe zero or zero, even negative interest up to 3.5. So it definitely is impacted by, in general, rising interest rates. This might for some investors obviously mean for some retail investors that they turn back from the platform because they feel like, okay, three and a half percent, you know, stable, low risk intern uh, return is enough for me. Then I don't need to diversify the companies. I can put it back to the bank if I get the interest rate of three and a half is not what you see right now, but you see maybe two or something or, or one and a half. And then you have these interest hopping uh, investors again. This will definitely be there. On the other hand, There are also quite a lot of investors if you look into the equity market. I think we for a long time haven't seen so low valuations in the market. So last year, the years before, you know, obviously companies were higher valued. So the question of when can I make the most return on the equity side? This is the year now. This is the year of challenges. VCs have turned back a bit. Valuations are lower. Companies are still executing properly. They, they have costs even more under control. And now is the time to invest on low valuations to then profit again from better market conditions in the future, right? So there are different types of, of investment opportunities on the equity side, especially driven by, by the lower valuations. And on the other hand, also for us, the renewable energy bit is something to add on. Because obviously you might get 3% if you put it on a bank account. But again, on the renewable energy field, we never had any default. It's a quite planable process. Rising energy prices brings the definite need for renewable energy, if it's not climate change already by itself. But, um, you know, being, being a business-driven economy, at least the rising energy prices will bring everyone to, hey, let's think more about renewable energy. And there's a high financing gap. And this is a financing gap that we will also offer and, and um, have people invest in that. So I think we will have the retail investors that also consider instead of having a stable interest on, on classical, really yeah, low risk market products to get the same on our platform if they go into renewable energy. So I think uh, we have the right strategies in place. We have the, the broad portfolio that we have, asset class wise, product type wise, 
but also region-wise, sort of always leads to the fact that maybe at the moment one asset class has a bit of you know refinancing issues while other asset classes are at the same time rising. So I think in general, the, the business model is not affected and we adjust to the market. And we will always have interesting projects and we will make sure that they are market standard, at least, of returns that we offer. Okay. Um, two more crystal ball questions. And the first one is on Basel 3. And the second one on, we have already spoken about it, on the European Crowdfunding Service Provider Regulation, the ECSPR. From your point of view, how will these two regulatory initiatives uh, impact your uh, business model? Basel 3, it, it will probably make it even more difficult for banks to finance companies. So isn't it uh, an attractive, an appealing uh, opportunity for investor? Uh, it's definitely, yeah, it opens up the market. It, it, it makes the finance gap even bigger, you know, more need for equity uh, or yeah, equity requirement on the banking side, uh, less risk that they can take. Take the renewable energy bit where you can see that over the last years, maybe, you know, 80, 90, up to 100% of those projects were financed by banks and now they turn back to maybe 60%. Still, we need to have the same growth rate and the renewable energy maybe even more. So the financing gap, this could all be closed by equity, but then the project developers cannot be fast enough opening up the plans. So I think there is a financing gap opening. The, SM, the whole SME market is obviously impacted by Basel 3. You know, the banks are turning more and more and more forced to to um, to the standard clients and and leaving especially a lot of smaller clients it's not it's also like often if you say like the unbanked you know the the, the companies that banks don't or that banks don't want we also you know due to our digital processes we are in a field where we can do a 200,000 euro loan uh, with profit so and that's often what banks don't do so it's it's even a field where there's a white spot between fast small credits from the bank, which are based on mass, you know, statistics. Then there's a white spot. And then again, there are maybe the 2 million upwards uh, banking loans. But the, the in-between, where the main bit of the business is, that gets even harder for, uh, with Basel 3. So there's definitely a financing gap that can be closed uh, without higher risks or something. Um, on the investor side, obviously adjusting interest rates accordingly is always what we do. The ECSPR is exactly that license we talked about. Um, we're the first ones in, in, in Germany, Austria, getting this license, also in the Nordics, as far as we know. And we will. this will harmonize how you treat investors. So before that, if I had a German SME, for example, and I wanted for this German SME being a capital market product to say like, hey, I also have Austrian clients and I have Finnish clients and they like you and they would like to invest in your company, The way to invest, the risk warnings, the calculations, the amounts they could invest, everything was different. So for us as a platform, it was quite difficult to offer these products in different markets because we had to do different processes everywhere. ECSPR is regulating that, harmonizing that, saying basically, okay, you're located in one country, but you can offer it the same way in 27 countries. Stick a bit to language requirements, devils in the detail, obviously, but in general, it's getting more harmonized. It's making it easier to attract European clients, because the European Union sees that capital market union is something important. If you look in the US, you know, companies are 70% capital market financed, only 30% bank financed. In China, it's 50-50. In Europe, I don't know, it's, it's, it's 30-70 the other direction. So the capital market needs to come to be less dependent on a bank, because as an SME, if you're a small SME, that's your main source of financing. 
if I would tell you that, you know, a Losteria buys pasta only with one pasta production, you would say like, but, you know, what if this pasta production is not there anymore? They need to buy from 10 different ones, right? And and with refinancing, you cannot do that currently if you look for amounts up to 5 million euros. The CSPR will, yeah, will bring crowdfunding, digital lending, even to a more professional setup, take out all these national, sometimes also very low regulated um, entities. We come out of a MIFID regulation. So we come even out of a, like at least as strong regulation already before. So we have these in place and being one of the first players, I think allows us to, um, to execute there and to help building this capital market union. So definitely strong push on, allowing us to increase refinancing and show companies to the whole European Union instead of just national countries. Yes, absolutely. So um, I have uh, understood that uh, Basel 3 in combination with uh, the ECSPR might have a very strong impact. And uh, yes, uh, I also have understood that uh, from your point of view, Some players might be taken out of the market because this is what I have uh, heard and uh, already read uh, as well. That, uh, especially in view of yeah the high level uh, risk management, compliance management, and other provisions, uh, many stakeholders in the European market now think about uh, yeah giving up their business model or 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 at least uh, adapting it. Yeah, I mean it's. Obviously sad for every, you know, entrepreneur that has founded such a platform in the past and that is executing their business. On the other hand, it's a professionalization that is needed. There is consolidation needed. All of us, when I talk about 460 million in refinancing volume, but that's compared to the capital market, still a relatively small number, right? And if you want to do it professional, I could not work without a strong IT team with a legal team, with, as I said, credit analysts in all markets and regions, with a strong operations and finance team, et cetera. So if you want to do this business professional, there's a certain setup and cost base that you have. Um, and that's why I feel consolidation is needed. Compliance is important. Regulatory framework is important. The harmonization was an important driver, ECSPR. And having smaller companies going out of the market that, yeah, were not or are not able to comply with these useful standards is an important factor for us as well in the end because it allows us to not only consolidate the market but to professionalize for everyone that does crowdfunding that you know there are no black sheeps out there anymore where you might have an experience that you stereotype over the whole market so important move forward but yeah obviously hard for everyone that cannot make it thank you My very last question brings me to a broader discussion we currently have in Germany and uh, I address this to you as a founder. Uh, you know that we have this uh, huge, uh, huge discussion in space about funding problems of uh, fintechs. And uh, what do you think about this discussion? What is your point of view and where do you see the ecosystem against this backdrop uh, from here in one year? Well, seeing it in one year is obviously like a short-term view on it. Um, I It's think it's not five years. Yeah, but, uh, I think many seem to have funding problems actually. So um, I don't know if it is. Yeah, it's definitely not only the fintech industry. It's it's in general the whole industry. Obviously, mm -hmm. the venture capital is lower, and I think to really take it on a high level, obviously Europe lags behind on on proper venture venture capital funding compared 
to the US or, or other markets. Um, another reason why we also offer equity, right, for, for companies where we feel it's, it's, they have a, a useful uh, need to be there. I think fintechs obviously were for a long time hyped to a certain degree overhyped a lot of business models where you really need to figure out and the industry was growing a lot and you need to figure out who has a business case and who has a business model and what it, what adds value to the market and is not just a nice idea and that was always something that we looked at also a bit critical i think a lot of companies also over overgrew uh, to a certain extent and are now coming into the scenario of hey let's cost cut and let's think about how we can actually add value and not just spend money on customer acquisition, grow a customer base, and then think about, okay, what are we actually doing with this customer base? And is it ad adding value to offer a service just purely for free? What's the you know long-term goal there? So I think, yeah, I have a bit critical view on the fintech industry in that sense of, of being, yeah, having, ha have been growing too fast and have been growing with business models that don't make sense. So it's, I think, also a needed consolidation. However, if we look into... And that's the difficult part for, I put myself into it, for all business models where you say like, hey, we add value. How do we get this out in the market, right? And, and currently we also impacted by refinancing. And then again, we also impacted by maybe young fintechs that have grown just based on customer acquisition without having a business model. And how can we now explain that we are different? So yeah, maybe the trend goes a bit too fast into the other direction. But I would say that that's what I meant. Like if you look into one year, we will still suffer by this trend that a lot of VC says like, oh, hey, fintech is overheated. Let's step out for a year, see who's left. But then again, the ones that are left, that have a stable business model, that have a value that they add to the customers, will see the investments again. And I think that's then the second phase of fintech that is actually useful, right? Right now, we just split up the banking industry and did different things differently. So, also there, maybe from a market perspective, need a trend. Being in the industry, <laughs> I would like to see it differently, especially, as I said, as it's hard to pitch that your business model actually makes sense. But um, yeah, let's all hope together and obviously work on acting professional, proving our business model, having the economics in place. Then I were definitely convinced that we also see VC capital going back into the market. Yes, you are absolutely right. Uh, what you uh, have mentioned at the very beginning, that uh, ECSPR event is a, a very good start for uh, getting serious on that field. Yeah, it comes again, it comes with all those, you know, potential downsides of smaller companies going out. But that's that's the needed trend that is there. And that's the professionalism that is needed. And mm -hmm. we have started crowdfunding eight to 10 years ago. And now we reached a point where it's harmonized on a European level, right? And it's The capital market union is, is one of the corner political projects in the financial industry in Europe. And they've taken crowdfunding as the first step and say like, hey, let's make a license that you apply for in one country. And then without properly even passporting it or having a subsidiary in another country, you can use it all over Europe. You know, let's prove that this works and let's make that step and learn out of it and see where the capital market is. So, you know, For everyone that tells me like crowdfunding, it's there for so long, it's only for startups. No, that's not the trend. The trend is the exact opposite. The trend is that Europe has taken crowdfunding or digital lending or however you want to call it and puts it on the main point of the agenda and says, let's start from here. So yeah, maybe that marathon was just you warming up for the sprint that happens actually now. And yeah, I see high potential there. 
Thank you very much, Christopher, for your time. That was a great episode number three. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as well. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn so that you will never miss our podcast. Stay safe and sound and see you soon. Bye.